provides insight into how complex concepts, procedures, and mechanisms work. It's there you can learn about things like water towers and air conditioners and combustion engines and how they work. How Stuff Works is also a six-part sermon series that we've been navigating our way through here at Central Assembly based on the book of Colossians. We looked at how redemption works in part one. Part two was how church works. Part three last week was how baptism works. And today we venture into Colossians 3, and you can turn there in your Bible, and we will look at how love works. And while you're turning to Colossians 3, I want to again acknowledge our live stream audience, whether you're a regular attender who couldn't make it in today, or you're someone who uses live stream as a window into Central Assembly, we just want you to know that we're really glad that you're watching. Uh, please comment uh, and let us know what your experience is like, and if you value what you hear, uh, share it. Uh, the best thing that you can do for us is to share posts. And uh, so when you go home, that video is still on, it's on Facebook, it, it, it's there, it's kind of archives on Facebook, and uh, you can watch it again or you can share it with somebody. And uh, again, the best thing you can do is, is to share that for us. Um, before we read from Colossians, let's learn about how something works. We've been including this in, in part of our, as part of our series. This time, we're going to listen to Amanda Peterson and how exercise affects the brain. Let's go to the videotape. Well, hey everyone, my name is Amanda and I'm the children's pastor here at Central Assembly, but I'm also a Certified Therapeutic Recreation Specialist, or CTRS for short. Now, what a CTRS does is they actually create and plan different recreational activities for a therapy program for an individual. And one of the most common recreational activities that is incorporated in these plans is exercise, just because of all the benefits it has for the brain. First is we have an increased blood flow to the brain. And at the same time that blood flow is being um, increased, we also have signals releasing neurotransmitters and a specific protein. So these neurotransmitters that are released are endorphins and serotonin. And this protein that's released is called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So the two neurotransmitters, the endorphins and the serotonin, with endorphins, we actually, from that, we get that runner's high. It gives us that overall great feeling, and it's also a painkiller. So it actually mimics the same effects as morphine has on the body. Also, endorphins give us this overall feeling of concentration and prioritizing things. So when we exercise, we're more focused and able to do things. With serotonin, it's referred to as the happy chemical neurotransmitter. So this actually helps with our sleep-wake cycles, helps with mood regulation, it helps with our digestion and memory. It also is um, released with more of the most common antidepressant medications. So it gives us that more happy feeling, like I said before. And then the protein that's released is the, like I said before, the brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's a mouthful, but um, with this protein, it gives um, growth and extends life to the neurons or the nerve cells, 
while also increasing the connection between the two for better memory and for better learning. And that is how the brain works when we exercise. I need more of all of that. Uh, Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul from the bowels of the Roman prison somewhere around 60 A.D. The theme of the letter, as we learned a little bit last week, was freedom from the law and freedom from the bondage of religious rituals. Uh, The text today is Colossians 3, the first 14 verses. We'll read the first four right now as we talk about things above. Verse 1 of Colossians 3 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. If, if you are risen with Christ. If is is only two letters. I would make the contention that if is the biggest word in the Bible. If. If you are saved. If you love Jesus. If you are born again. If you have encountered Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you have confessed your sins, if you have repented of your transgressions, if you have died to self, if you have trusted Jesus with your eternity, if you have committed your life to him, if you have dedicated your existence to him, if you are systematically and progressively rearranging your life around becoming like Jesus, those are all big Ifs, if you are risen with Christ, then set your affection on things above. Where we set our affection will have a profound effect on our life. That sounds very basic, very rudimentary. I think it's very profound. Where we set or fix our affection will have a profound effect on our life. Where are your affections set? God has created our bodies, and it's interesting how this fits in with Amanda's video there. God has created our bodies to be bonded to the source of our pleasure. Now, in the perfect world that God created and placed Adam and Eve into, that was no problem. But when mankind sinned and evil took its place in the world, Houston, we have a problem. You attach yourself to what gives you pleasure. This is where addiction comes from. There's a a pathway to addiction. It starts with curiosity, experimentation, regular usage, habitual usage, and then Dependence or addiction. We attach ourselves to what gives us pleasure. We bond to the source of pleasure. Now, in the world we live in, we tend to think of that in a negative way. But I think it also works in the positive. A child attaches 
himself to, to his mother. She is his source of warmth and security and nourishment and pleasure. If then you are risen with Christ, then cultivate a love for Jesus and a love for the things of God. If Jesus becomes your source of pleasure, then you will attach yourself to him. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We attach ourselves to what we derive pleasure from. There's a, there's a simple little formula for living that successful people have figured out. And I'll let you define successful. It's this. What I think, what I do, and what I feel. I need to think right. I need to make good decisions on how I behave. And if I do, the odds increase dramatically that I'll feel right. I'll feel good. It's not rocket science. So here's a positive example. What I think. I think a good work ethic is healthy. So what I do, I choose to work hard. Therefore, I can feel good about my day. Bigger picture, I can feel good about my life. Here's a negative example. I don't want to go to work today. So what do I do? I stay home from work. And end result, I feel lousy about myself. So if I feel good about my life as a Christian, I begin to attach myself to the source of my pleasure, which is Jesus. If then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. We tend to attach ourselves to what we perceive as our source of pleasure. Now let's follow that pathway to addiction, if you will, and we'll use for the example reading your Bible. So... So it starts with curiosity. Now, curiosity is, is easy to understand as far as things like, like drug use or pornography go. And, and, but maybe it can be that way with a positive example as well. For example, reading your Bible. So you pick up the Bible and you begin to, to flip through it. You read a, a little here, a little there. Curiosity. Experimentation. You begin to invest a little time and effort into reading and studying the Bible. You're, you're beginning to learn how it's put together and how it works. Regular usage. You start to form a pattern of usage. Maybe it's first thing in the morning or maybe it's right before you go to bed or perhaps on your lunch hour. But the Bible begins to occupy part of your day. Habitual usage. This happens through continual use. You feel as though something is missing if for some reason you don't get to your Bible reading today. It has become a habit. And the last stage is dependence. This is the stage where you've given yourself over 
to a habit. And I like that terminology as far as the things of God go. There are indeed things I have given myself over to. I would not think of beginning my day without my Bible on my lap in my living room. It's not a decision I make anymore. It's ingrained. It's, it's wired into my neural pathways. And I'm out of sync if I don't begin my day with Scripture. I have set my affection on things above, and it has become part of my life. Think, do, feel. I think the Bible is important. I read the Bible every day. Therefore, I feel good about where my life with Jesus is at. What I think, what I do, and what I feel are intricately related. Over time and over practice, I've developed a hunger for the Word of God. I'm attached to it as a source of pleasure. On Saturday mornings, we read a chapter a week at Men's Breakfast, Fuller's Restaurant, 7 o'clock. And I can hardly wait to hear the guy's take on the ongoing adventures of King Saul and David as we follow the merry mix-ups that occur currently in the book of 1 Samuel. The Bible gives me great pleasure. And it all started with setting my affection on things above. Where, where are your affections set? What do you focus on? What do you think about? What do you have in the crosshairs of your life? What's your goal for each day? What does your routine look like? Here's, here's what I can guarantee you. Listen closely to this. Here's what I can guarantee you. Your routine includes everything you think is important. Your routine includes everything you think is important. Your routine may not include everything you say is important. But your routine includes everything you think is important. It's your consistent actions. It's your routine that most accurately reflects your core beliefs. Okay? So time spent the same way over and over again, your routine. Think about this. Time spent over and over again adds up at an alarming rate. Let's say you spend 45 minutes a day doing something. Now, you, you, know, you can use anything as an example here. Um, working out, watering the garden, watching TV, taking care of the dog, whatever it is, you spend 45 minutes a day doing this. That, that's five hours a week. That's 20 hours a month. That's 240 hours a year. And 240 hours a year is a month and a half of 40-hour work weeks. So whatever you do regularly, you have determined to be important. Think, do, 
feel? What do you fix your affections on? Is it things above or is it things below? This is verses 5 through 9 in Colossians 3. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. You ever, an inordinate affection is the definition of lust. So you ever try to differentiate what like lust and, and desire is, let's say? Lust is inordinate affection. Evil concupiscence speaks of evil desire. Covetousness, which is idolatry. These are your members which are upon the earth. For which things sake the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now, verse 8 says, you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. We are to mortify our members which interact with the realm of the carnal, earthy world. We are to put to death our carnal desires. And the key to that is to starve the flesh. The flesh is the term, at least in, in this portion of Scripture, that the, the flesh is the term that the Bible uses to describe our, our earthly lust. The flesh is the sinful tendencies that reside within our body. That's what I refer to when I use the term flesh. The sinful tendencies that reside within our body. We are to mortify our members which are upon the earth. You are to set your affection, according to verse 2 of chapter 3, on things above, not on the things of the earth. The old illustration that, that really resonates is if two dogs are fighting and you, you feed one and starve the other, one will gain strength and the other will weaken. So ask yourself, are you starving the habits that you're not happy with? Are you starving the habits that take you down the wrong road? Are, or are you feeding these habits? Are the, are the bad habits gaining strength? Are the tentacles of the destructive habits gaining a stronghold in your life? Romans 13, 14 tells us to put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Starve the flesh. And this is what the spiritual disciplines are all about. The spiritual disciplines chisel away the flesh, the sinful tendencies that reside within our body. Now you may wonder what all of this has to do with love. This is uh, part four of how stuff works, love. But I maintain it has everything to do with love. Love is not a feeling. Let's remember what love is. And, and to help us get there, we talk about what love isn't. It's not a feeling. I often tell the story of a young couple who, who showed up to the office here at church on a Saturday morning. And, and they said, we're going around to different churches and we're talking to, to pastors and priests and we're wondering if we could talk to you. And, and so we sat down and, and I asked them what was up and, and they said, 
well, we're thinking about getting a divorce. And so I asked them how long they were married. They said two years. And I said, why, why do you want to get a divorce? And they said, because we don't love each other anymore. And so I said, define love. And they had no answer. To them, love was a feeling. And the feeling had run out. When the feeling ran out, they were ready to move on. And the problem with that is you will run that same cycle over and over and over again. Infatuation, satisfaction, boredom, and abandonment. That's the pathway to a feeling-driven life. But true love is a decision. Real love is an act of the will. This couple hadn't even discovered what true love is, and they were ready to get a divorce. So if I'm driven by my feelings, and my life is made up of all my carnal sources of pleasure, I will lead an unstable life of chaos and crisis. We all know people like this. There will be big highs and dark, dark lows. And over time, it's hard to feel good about that life. Infatuation. Satisfaction. Boredom. Abandonment. Think of all the carnal desires that fuel people's lives that are listed right there in Colossians chapter 3. Things like fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection or lust, Evil concupiscence, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy communication. These are all things that provide a short-term boost, but are detrimental in the long run. You guys with me? So let's use anger as an example. You're at work and you feel mistreated by your boss. It's kind of a chronic thing. You should have got the promotion. He treats the lazy employee better than he treats you. You always get the hard job. And you're stewing over it and, and you're about to boil over anyway when he, when he comes over and he gives you the most miserable task in the place. And that's the last straw. But instead of ordering more straws... You let your boss have it. And it all spills out. You tell him what he can do with his miserable task and you tell him what he can do with his miserable job. And you sanctimoniously storm out of the room. And, and I tell you what, that feels good. And as you slam the door, as you walk out, I tell you, man, that feels good. But now what? What about when you get home? What about that evening or, or that night as you lie awake in bed? Or what about the next morning? The things of this earth satisfy an appetite. But it tends to run out quickly. The rush is short and sweet. And then regret and remorse settle in for the long haul. You fed the anger... And it won the battle. It's hard to feel good about that. 
But what if you would have fed a different dog? Like patience, uh, or restraint, or respect for authority. Now that's certainly more difficult in the moment. But it's better over the long haul. You followed the word of God, you exercised restraint, and now you still have a job, and you don't have to go home and tell your spouse that you were fired. There will be a paycheck waiting for you on payday. And all these are things you can feel good about. Set your affection on things above, the Bible says, not on the things of the earth. And it takes us back to that simple formula, what I think, what I do, and what I feel. If I sit at my job site and I contemplate what a victim I am, I meditate on how everyone has it better than than I do. I'm thinking in a way that sets me up for failure. It will predicate, the way I think will predicate my actions and behaviors when an opportunity presents itself and I will feel lousy as a result. But what if I fix my affection on things above? What if I sat at the job site and thanked God for giving me the strength to earn a living? What if I saw the environment that I work in as, as a mission field to be infiltrated rather than a minefield to be avoided? What if I thought different? What if I changed the way I think? It would affect what I do and it would eventually affect the way I feel. The result would be choices made out of love. I would choose to love my co-workers in their lostness. I would seek to impact them with, with an attitude and with, with my actions that express the love of Christ and the joy of the Lord. And if that's what I do, at the end of the day, I can feel good about that. That's how love works. Set your affection on things above. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Now back to Colossians 3. And and here we will discover that love is the bond of perfection. You know, life is all about choices, right? We either let life happen to us and we complain about our lot in life or we, we choose an upward path and we get to work. Charles Swindoll, I call him Chuck because we have a good vibe going, says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you do with it. It's all about choices. One choice we have is to put off the old man with his deeds. It has nothing to do with your husband. I'm giving him time to catch up. It speaks of the old nature, the natural man, the person you were before Christ impacted you. Put him off. Put him away. Get rid of that guy. Put off the old man and put on something new, the Bible says. Put on something better. Verse 10 of Colossians 3 says, Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. Once you know Jesus, 
If you are risen with Christ, set your affection upon Him as the source of your pleasure. Learn about Him. Experience Him. And your mind will be renewed. Verse 11. Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. Put on, therefore. Put on. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And now it, it gives us a, a list of what to put on. The Bible likes lists too. <laughs> put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, you better forgive them. And above all these things, it says, put on charity. What's charity? Love. Listen to this. Which is the bond of perfection. Love. We bond ourselves. We attach ourselves to what gives us pleasure. Love is a a choice. It's not a feeling. It's something you choose. Life is made up of a thousand choices. So choose a new way. It's up to you. You're a victim of your circumstances or you choose a pathway upward. If you are risen with Christ, if, biggest word in the Bible, If you are risen with Christ, then set your affection on things above. If you are risen with Christ, where are your affections set? It's a choice. It literally is like putting on a new garment. It's that much of a choice. It's like putting on a different coat. When the world espouses hate, we put on love. When the world offers despair, we offer hope. When the world wallows in misery, we put on joy. When the world says we should give up, we put on the spirit of the overcomer. When life is empty, we choose the abundant life of serving Jesus. When people promote judgment, we put on mercy. When the world brings us down, we look to the one who lifts us up. When the devil tries to get us to turn on each other, we choose, church, to love each other. When the world tells us to criticize, we put on the spirit of encouragement. When the devil tells us the glass is half empty, Jesus reminds us our cup runneth over. When our circumstances say God has forgotten us, we choose to believe our day of redemption draws nigh. We put on the garment to praise for the spirit of heaviness. We choose life. We choose peace. We choose power. That's how love works. Love is a choice. So put on love. Love is the bond of perfection. When when it seems all is lost, I remember it is in this moment I have a choice. I can curl up in the fetal position or I can remind myself that I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. We either respond in fear or we respond in love. It's like going to the closet and choosing a different garment. That's, the, that's, that's amazing imagery, isn't it? It's that much of a choice. It's not something that happens to us. It's something we put on. So come on, church, put on mercy. Come on, church, put on kindness. Come on, church, put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Put on forgiveness. Put on the new man. Put on the new woman. Put on the new nature. Put on love. Because love is the bond of perfection. Oh, you you don't feel like it? Well, here's a thought. Be a big boy. Be a big girl. Be an adult. Make a good choice. Make a choice that you can feel good about at the end of the day. Think right. Act right. And and you know what? You just might feel right. That's how love works. We set our affection on things above. We mortify our members which are upon the earth. We put on love. We, we choose love. We, we love God. We love one another. And we love our enemy. You may not feel like it, but that's what we do. That's the choice we make. Think, do, feel. So where are your affections set today? Things above or things below? Which, which dog are you feeding? You attach yourself to what gives you pleasure. Delight yourself in the Lord. Set your affection on things above. There's always two paths in life, it seems proverbial fork in the road. There's a narrow way and there's a wide way. It doesn't take you long to to figure out as you live your life out in the real world, right? That most people take the wide road. Something has to set us apart. If if we take the wide road, if if we feed our members which are upon the earth like like everybody else does, like unsaved people do. And we should understand that unsaved people do that. Unsaved people tend to do, get this, what unsaved people do. Another profound statement. We're the ones that have to be different. Don't expect them to be different. We need to be the ones that are different. And so so every day in these thousands of choices that we face and the times you're mistreated, and I don't want to minimize the times you've been mistreated. But it's in that moment that you have a choice. It's in that moment that you have an opportunity to be different. And and yeah, you've got some bad circumstances, perhaps. The question is, what garment are you going to put on? Malice? Envy? Unforgiveness? Or do you choose something different? Do you choose something better? Are you a victim of your circumstances or have you chosen an upward path, the upward path 
of the overcomer. Put on love. It all starts with loving Jesus. That if that we started with is the biggest word in the Bible. If you are risen with Christ. If. If you know Jesus. Everything I said to you today is meaningless unless you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the opportunity I'd like to give you as we wrap up the service this morning. So I'd like everyone that's here to to bow your heads and close your eyes. and, And if you know Jesus, if you are risen with Christ, would you pray with me? And would you pray for the one that's here today that needs Jesus? And so if you're that one that's here today, then I'm going to ask you to make a choice. You stand at that crossroad. You stand at the fork in the road. Would you make a choice for Jesus today? And that choice is to choose to live for Jesus. It's acknowledging that you're a sinner. It's acknowledging that that even by being good from here on out, it doesn't deal with the sin in your life. And we need Jesus to wash away our sin. We talked about it at communion. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin. We need a Savior to make us right before God. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, you're saying, Tom, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to confess my sin to him and ask him to cleanse me from all unrighteousness by way of the cross. And then you begin to live for him. It's about repenting from your sin. To repent means to change directions. And so we begin to live for Jesus. And now we can set our affection on things above. So if that's you today, if that describes you, would you slip your hand up? And you're not joining the church when you slip your hand up. You're saying, Tom, I need Jesus to wash away my sin. If that's you, slip your hand up so I can include you in our closing prayer this morning. You need Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you were to be honest, you would have to acknowledge that you haven't set your affection on things above. In fact, you've been feeding the wrong dog. You haven't mortified your members upon the earth. In fact, that's the dog you've been feeding. So today, you want to begin again. That's what the gospel is all about. In my mind, the gospel message is you go from where you are today. So you're here today, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you need to begin again. If that's you, would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you in these moments? I see those hands. Hand, there's hands going up all across the auditorium. You know why? Because you're, you're honest and you want more of Jesus. Lord, I, I thank you for these folks that have responded. Lord, we, we find ourselves feeding the wrong dog sometimes. But if we are risen with Christ, we are to set our affection on things above. We choose to do that this morning. We thank you for the forgiveness that's available. Lord, we want to live for you. Holy Spirit, empower us to live for you, that we might become all that you've called us to be, that we might be difference makers in the kingdom, whether it would be at home, in the marketplace, at the workplace, ministry here at church, whatever it might be, Lord, use us to accomplish your great purpose. We pray that this morning in Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I raise a hallelujah 